yeah, I think I think Buffalo, you know, as a city and you know the Sabres as a team is heading in you know a, a great direction. I think you know you look at some of the moves that they've made and you know the guys that they've acquired, uh, the, the guys they have in their system, some of the players on their team. I mean, uh, there's a lot of positives, and uh, you know I just want to you know become a piece of the puzzle because uh, you know Buffalo wants success and they want success soon and. I think that's uh, that's what's going to happen. Jack, you've had a couple of weeks to come to I have to be careful uh, not to incriminate myself here. Because, uh, you know, we don't know exactly who listens, and uh, although it's unlikely, certainly pe- people from the, what is it, the Motion Picture Association of America could be tuning in. Okay. But I know this couple, you know, a couple, they're, uh-huh. they're married now, in their 30s, of relatively decent health, for the last 10 years have fallen out of love with going to the movies. Okay. Haven't necessarily fallen out of love with watching the movies. Okay. It's the going to the movies part that at some point just didn't connect anymore. This could be a piracy talk? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh, I was talking to someone from this couple uh, the other day, and they were telling me that they downloaded a torrent. Is that the way you say it? Sure. A torrent of Jurassic World. Some people use torrent like as a verb too. Like I torrented okay. Jurassic World. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure how that worked. Sure, I think both are fine. Yeah, so they watched uh, Jurassic World. It was a, I heard, it was a cam copy. <laughs> so like a shaky, people coughing Not and stuff. shaky. Uh, I, I heard they said they would rate it about a seven video and a seven audio uh, some of the darker scenes uh, weren't the best. Certainly, they didn't. What this couple didn't watch it in the way that the filmmakers intended right. uh, the viewing experience. It was not 3D IMAX. And rating a cam as a seven is uh, probably they're probably pretty generous reviewers. The couple I heard had no problem relaxing on the couch and enjoying the film. Okay, which is now like the highest grossing weekend of all time, right? It was close. Well, it's up to almost $600 million. That's crazy. So I was asking this couple, you know, is this okay? You know, because in one sense, and this is my opinion, separate from the actual downloading of it. Yeah. A Jurassic World does not need their $20. Sure. Uh, And as a matter of fact, I talked to this couple and they said if they would have went, they likely would have used a Regal Cinema gift card. Right. You know, so that's money already, already spent. spent. Sure. Essentially. Um, and they did make it clear that they have a policy against doing this with independent films. <laughs> okay. Uh, they said never will they uh, illegally download uh, a film that someone may have mortgaged their home to. See, I would almost say the opposite because those movies are tough to, to come across. Yeah, sometimes you got to stick in there a bit you, you you can't get it as quick as you might like right or you got a vod it or something and i also to to heard theater to see it i tough. also heard that during um oscar season uh-huh there's m- many more uh current movies via screener 
really oh. great quality. Sure. So okay. they said sometimes that rule is hard to obey during that time. <laughs> okay. Because uh, maybe one of the Oscar nominees uh, might be more of an independent. Uh, so that rule may have been broken, but for the most part, I heard they like to avoid that. Okay. But do you see any problem uh, with a young couple from North Tonawanda or uh, maybe they're from Idaho? I don't know where they're from. It's just a couple I know. Uh, is it okay for them to download a, a $500 million movie and uh, watch it at home? Now, one of them also said they enjoyed it and is actually considering now buying the going to oh. see it in IMAX. Okay. Uh, a thought that he said he would have never had uh, without watching it this way. Right. So where do you stand on the torrents? I think both sides of the argument use uh, some – I think they jump to conclusions based on I'm not sure what. Like I did read a while back that pirates actually spent – like people that are willing to pirate movies are also the ones that spend the most money on movies and Blu-rays. I don't know how you quantify that though. Just like I imagine the MPAA has a number in their head that they lose to piracy, but I don't know how they would quantify that either. Uh, because just because someone pirates it doesn't mean they wouldn't also go see it. And I mean, I heard this couple has a Netflix account, yeah, and also has HBO and Showtime. It uh-huh. has their streaming accounts, right? And I heard that they will never get a torrent of a movie available on iTunes. So if it's iTunes, they have the uh, morals maybe to pay the four ninety nine or three ninety nine to rent it VOD as you said, right. uh, as opposed to downloading. But you know sometimes with the summer blockbusters or the Oscar films, uh, since this couple has fallen out of love with the experience of going to the movies, just crazy uh, to me anyway. That part's crazy. You you still enjoy I such an like, adventure? Yeah, I like the movies. Yeah, I think they just said that it's so expensive, uh, almost ridiculously so. Yep. Uh, then if you want to enjoy a beverage, uh, it's difficult. Yeah, um, that is true. It's I... not comfortable, especially for someone who may have had uh, lower stomach surgeries. <laughs> uh, the act of sitting that way in a chair, especially yeah. for a longer film, uh, I heard from them it could be yeah. uh, somewhat troublesome. The AMC is nice lounging yeah i heard chairs. they're great they're for sweet. for handies and stuff like for high schoolers <laughs> who, who do that but uh yeah i i think it's weird to think that it's really expensive because like where else could you go for 24 dollars to spend two hours you know what i mean like if you're I, I know once you start getting into the pop and popcorn but i think it was howard stern uh who has said before is like why can't we do something for two hours without stuffing our faces so I don't generally get food when I go there, which is how they make all their money. So maybe I'm not a good patron either. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big popcorn fan personally. Yeah. Um, the the way I fall on it, and maybe it's justification, is the movies I want to go see, like that I'm excited to go see, are the ones that I'll go see. Like I went to see the Avengers too. I went to the first Avengers. I went to see uh, the other Marvel one. It was huge. Uh, Iron Man or uh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll go to see all those. I saw all the Batman movies in the theater. The ones that I would end up torrenting would be the ones that they're not getting my money anyway for the most part. So that's probably the argument most pirate people willing to pirate movies would make that if I see this movie, there's a better chance of me maybe buying the soundtrack or buying the 
the Blu-ray when it comes out than otherwise because I wouldn't have seen it anyway. Like John Wick is not losing my my business if I pirate John Wick, but I've heard it's entertaining. So maybe I watch it and decide, oh, I really want this Blu-ray or I really want that from iTunes. I I think it's strange logic, but I I don't think it's quite... I don't think they're losing quite as much money as the MPAA would. It's certainly going. interesting, and if you have a thought or a comment on it, uh, you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com or at sports underscore casters on Twitter. The old ad Let was, us know uh, where you stand. The old ad was you wouldn't download a car, would you? <laughs> they tried to compare it to like car, well, if car I, theft. If, if this couple could, I'm sure yeah. they would. Uh, if it was policed as um, sparsely. Right. It's, that's a word. I have no idea. Uh, all right. Let's start the show. It's episode 20 of season 5, July 1st, 2015. We're into July already. That means this year is six months over. Six months of the year are over. Yeah, halfway through. Uh, It's one of those weeks we describe as fluid, I think is the sportscaster's buzzword. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's a fluid situation. We do know. Now, last week, Don, we had Lee Jenkins making his 20th appearance. And uh, the Puck Daddy making his 11th, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, This week we have, for sure, Mark Simon from ESPN. He runs the ESPN Stats and Info Twitter account. Over 1 million followers. That's cool. Uh, I don't know if you've... I'm sure everyone who's listening has either followed this account or seen... Retweets. Retweets of uh, some of the things that they've they've, uh, tweeted. And I'll even have to admit that I... I uh, have been guilty of teasing them because not every stat is always correct. And uh, if it's not correct, it does not take long for the uh, private investigators on the Internet uh, to to unearth that information. Sure, yeah. Uh, so we'll talk to Mark. Mark is also – he's friends with Jonah Carey. Okay. okay. And Jonah Carey once at the World Series videotaped him going over every single final out of the last 60 World Series. So, at the game? Uh, they're in a, a press room. Wow. Um, it's just those two. Uh, it's a still shot on Mark basically saying, you know, and then this guy hit the ball and this guy caught it and this, this team won. This and then this and this 60 straight he did. For what? Just to show he could do it. <laughs> it. It was just too... Wow. And I don't think they'd be offended by me saying this. was just two baseball nerds nerding out on baseball. Sure, yeah. You know, and the video uh, was... I don't, I don't know if viral is the right word. Cer- certainly in the baseball community. It went viral. And uh, it was. it's one of these things when you watch it, it's like, wow. I should be careful how quickly I jump to for what. Because I have two... St- uh, post-it notes stuck to my laptop right now with uh, board game plays <laughs> right. that I'm going to log into Board Game Geek's website right. later so, on. So, uh, I, I think it's it was the baseball equivalent of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can do that, if you can repeat the last 60 outs, um, you should show off, I think. Yeah, why not? Now, also on the show is probably going to be one of four people, none of which have been on more than one time, if at all. Uh, we have a request into ESPN PR for Linda Cohn. Uh, Linda was scheduled to be on the show last year at this time, right before the Stanley Cup. She canceled at the last minute. I noticed this week that she was at the draft 
for ESPN doing some interviews. I thought it'd be cool to reach out again. ESPN's cool with it. It's up to Linda. Okay. So we're waiting to hear back on that. Also, Brett Martin was the author of a book called uh, Difficult Men that we featured on the podcast. Uh, I want to say in 2013-ish, I think when we came back uh, from my hiatus, it was that summer. We featured this book, an awesome book about Tony Soprano and uh, and um, all of the anti-heroes in, yeah, yeah. in TV. Uh, and Brad is working on another book, uh, which I'm pretty sure is about food. Uh, he also wrote a huge cover story for GQ on John Hamm uh, recently. And uh, I just wanted to catch up with the guy. Uh, we're going to record something. I don't know if we're going to do it in time for this episode. Okay. And I, obviously, if Linda comes on, then I'd probably just record with Brett whenever we can, and it would be on next week. You know, his won't be sensitive to time. Sure. And then there's a couple of other requests as well. So I don't know who's going to be on, but I do know that what we're going to do today, Tuesday, is do three things in a second. Uh, then at the end of, after that, we're going to record the end of the podcast. I'm not going to do the book club today. I'll do that after all the interviews are done so I can update everyone in between interview one and interview two, kind of what happened and where we're going. Uh, and the first interview is tomorrow sometime. But I don't know when the next the other interview is because uh, it's not sure who it is or when yet. That's right. Fluid situation, as they say. That's right. But one thing we know for sure is we can do three things and we'll do it now. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright. Well, we have to start with a bunch of NHL and Buffalo Sabres news. Uh, that ha- happened uh, over the weekend and the week. Uh, I went down to the a- First Niagara Centre uh, to be a part of the Jack Eichel pick uh, with Sabres fans. I would say uh, 10K is a decent estimation of what was in there. It looked pretty full. Yeah, most of the lower bowl was lower full, bowl, yeah. and there was a ton of people on the ice doing like a uh, combine thing that was directed towards kids and families. Oh, a, really? That's cool. It's a free event. You know, they had a bunch of different stations set up on the on the ice, which wasn't ice. Right. Uh, the concrete. Um, and a lot of kids seem to be having a lot of fun with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was – I think I tweeted uh, that a lot of people uh, thought it was really strange that we spent so much time and energy rooting against our team – Last season, but Friday was uh, made it worth it to have a Jack Eichel in the Sabres jersey and to just be so excited about being a Sabre. Uh, made it a great day. Tim Murray, for the second year, wasting no time at the draft, walks up to the mic. I didn't love that as much Sabres as. Sabres select Jack Eichel. I didn't love it as much as other people did. Yeah, I think that's funny. He did the same kind of rushed, rushed the moment a bit. Sam Reinhardt the year before. He wanted to just say Jack Eichel, I guess, but he's saving that for some reason. Really? He said he was going to do two words, but then what would he do next time? <laughs> he's the man. He is super likable. He hasn't. He's done no wrong in my eyes so far. Well, we were speculating either the last show or the show before on how long the Sabres team might be able to compete. 
And that was before uh, we had an idea that Ryan O'Reilly would be a Sabre. Yeah. That was the other big Sabres news. And it was really cool at the arena. So let me kind of describe this. So you get we get to the draft uh, party five to seven. You know, we're not there early. So we get there at five to seven. And right around then, there's kind of some buzz on Twitter that the Sabres and Avalanche may be doing a deal. Our friend Mike Halford from Pro Hockey Talk mm-hmm. was actually tweeting what he was seeing in the building yeah, from yeah. his eyes. Uh, you know, Tim Murray's over by Joe Sackick. Right. You know, they're talking. They're on the phones. All that kind of thing. So there's this kind of buzz, and it's building in the arena. You can see people have their phones out. They're on Twitter. Uh, and then the draft starts, and every time the trade icon would pop up in the scroll on the draft screen in the graphics, right. there'd be this buzz and then kind of a letdown, like, oh, it's just the Bruins doing something stupid. <laughs> you know? So then the draft starts. Connor McDavid gets drafted. You know, everyone, boss, what a boss. Yeah, boo, Edmonton. Yeah. Took the full three minutes. Ridiculous. What were they waiting for? Ridiculous. Were they just making sure they weren't? What could anyone have offered them? Is there, there was no offers. No one even bothered. Could the Penguins have offered their entire team? No. Right. No one did. Right. Um, so then, Sabres come up. They make the pick. Huge cheer. The cheer barely subsides, and Batman announces the trade. Yeah, we have a trade. Yeah. Which by then, people had kind of knew it from Twitter, but wasn't official, and you know how draft day can be. Sure. So everyone was kind of waiting for that real official acknowledgement, and then just another huge, huge cheer. Uh, did they give up too much? Was it about right? How do you feel about the O'Reilly deal, which was uh, O'Reilly for the 31st pick in the draft? Uh, Zadarov, Grigorenko, Confer, Confer, and then we also got McGinn in the deal. Yeah, um, you know what, Zadorov and uh, Grigorenko maybe will turn into good players. Grigorenko is probably just about done here. He was considering he was offers, yeah, uh, in the KHL, KHL right? Uh, that's what I would say definitively with Grigorenko. I'm not worried. Meaningless part of the trade, Grigorenko, in my mind. Yeah, I think it's more about Zadorov and Confer sounded like. A good future captain type player, maybe. I mean, that's all based on college stuff. I'm not gonna like bash the guys that left, other than Grigorenko, just because they're gone. I mean, I, I I like Zadorov. I think they have a hole on defense a little bit now, but uh, yeah, I love the trade, and yeah. I honestly don't know a ton about Ryan O'Reilly, but his numbers are nice. Uh, he's a two way center. He's supposed to be a guy that can be a good leader. And he's super young. Like, yeah, he's a 1991 birth year, February 20, 91. 24. So if it even takes the Sabres two years to be good, he'll be in his prime when they want to be winning. So, And he'll be the highest paid Sabre here soon, but right. it's not a max contract by any means either. No, I mean, I it's mean, still a relatively a cheap, something, depending on what they get that. to, a relatively cheap first line center. And look, at you got to trade things right. to get things. And it not being Reinhardt and not being Ristolinen, uh it didn't matter to me otherwise. I think I said that, that yeah, I was willing to trade almost anyone but them. Yeah, I think we talked about that last week. Uh, for me, it was Ristolainen first, then I think Gergensen's, and then Reinhardt, who I didn't even necessarily need, but I, I, I mean, I've liked everything I've seen from him. But uh, yeah, they didn't trade anybody I thought was untouchable. They got a guy back. Earlier in the day, they got the goalie. 
Yep. And I think we debated that trade early in the day, but I think in the end, it's kind of just like, look, it, we traded all these things. Yeah, for all And this is what things. we have right. now. Yeah, in that respect, I'm fine with it. Um, I don't even think it's really worth debating that much anymore because I think the only reason you don't like giving up the first at 11 o'clock in the morning is because you think that that means you can't get O'Reilly. Right. Yep. So, so I mean, if... Yeah, if you look at it like a package, Andrew Peters, who is an ex-Saber, um, and in my mind, a terrible hockey mind. I shouldn't say hockey mind. I think he knows hockey. He's bad at radio. He's a little bit stuck in the past. He likes every guy that's grit. His team would have uh, 12 third-line players that could all hit and fight and whatever. But he made that point, too. Maybe the 21st had to be traded for the goalie because you wanted to give up the 31st. You just didn't have it anymore because you had the O'Reilly deal already worked out. Whatever. The whole package that we got for the whole package we gave away, I'm totally okay with. Yeah, and, you know, I think it was the Murray who said, you know, when we had the three first-rounders, if you had told me we'd get Eichel and Evander Kane and the goalie. Robin Leonard, yeah. Be pumped. And I think if you just... Darcy Regeer is a guy who maybe doesn't get enough credit. Um, he never... Now. Right. Not necessarily then, but now. Uh, because the trades that he made selling off the assets like Miller and Vanek, um, those last few moves he made, uh, and some of the draft picks he made, like Armia, who was part of the Kane deal, um, those were all things that uh, were ammunition. Uh, the picks he stockpiled, all that stuff he did with his back against the wall, uh, kind of flaming out a little bit, admittedly, uh, was huge, a huge asset for Murray uh, making these deals we love. Yeah, I was a Darcy apologist for a long time. I still contend that he was a really good seller, but I'm not sure. First of all, he signed a lot of bad contracts. His I'm selling sure... was huge for us. Yeah, I think his, that's, yeah. His selling was great. I don't think he ever makes that Kane deal uh, because he doesn't, he falls in love with his players a little bit too much, and they were kind of. Hand might not make the O'Reilly deal in that sense either because he just might be like, I'm just never training Zadarov, you know? Right. But uh, he was a great seller. I'm not sure they ever fully gave him the keys to rebuild, but I, I didn't want to get did. into a big thing about no, no, him. Right, I was sure. just saying that, you know. He was a great He was phenomenal at selling. And the sells that he made was huge in having sure. the ammunition to. Yep. Uh, but anyone to make that thought, deals. I know it was easy to say before this weekend. Well, all Tim Murray has done was build one of the worst teams in history and make the easiest draft pick of his life. Well, the Kane deal and the O'Reilly deal, I think, show what this guy. Oh, and some of the deals that he made to make sure that he can make the easiest pick of his life. Sure, yeah, right. You know, it shouldn't be uh, forgotten. Uh, But in the end, free agency starts tomorrow. There'll be players. There'll be players every July first from now until. The owner isn't the owner anymore. I heard on the way over here, uh, Chicago wants to give Saad the, what do they call it, the bridge deal. Right. And Saad's camp wants to skip that and says, no, he's good enough. They're talking $4 million a year. Like, if you were the Sabres, do you give him an offer sheet for $4 million a year or $5 million a year? Is he not? I'd have to really look at, like, okay, who's coming up when? How many years does it have to be? Do I want to? Chances are. Four million a year for Saad is going to be a bargain when you get to the back end of the day. Yeah, that's why Chances I know Chicago out. is strapped. So yeah, I would. Make that, I probably yes, I would. I mean, I think Chicago finds a way to match that deal. But if you offer him five for a bunch of years, there are always going to be players. Uh, 
we're always going to be dreaming about things like this, uh, which is something we never would have done years ago. Yeah, and I think the one thing to think about now, we were talking about uh, O'Reilly getting a big contract. The cap has gone up every single year yeah. that it's been in the league, and that is only good for the Sabres who have one of the, if not the deepest pocketed owner in the league. So, When it's time to spend to the cap, he will. Yep. That might so, be sooner than we thought. Yeah. Um, what else happened uh, over the weekend? The Bruins, they made a great trade uh, with Lucic, and it got even better today. Because they got a, they traded the When goal. they added on, basically, to what they got with one of the pieces. Uh, but other than that, I have no idea what they're doing. I think they're making the ultimate sin of trying to rebuild and contend at the same time. Which the Sabres, I think, very much proved uh, is impossible. And other teams have as well. Either got to tear it down or you got to keep battling to be at the top. Whenever you're in the middle, it just doesn't seem to work. Uh, maybe Don Sweeney is smarter than us. He probably is. Uh, but we're not the only ones saying this. I mean, it's pretty unanimous out there. So Right. When he made all the draft picks, he, he traded away Dougie Hamilton. And, and look... They are doing spin control now, claiming a lot of the same stuff they said about Tyler Sagan, which turned out to blow up in their face, that he was a problem off the ice, he's immature, whatever. Yeah, 20-year-old kids tend to be immature. But now Tyler Sagan is one of the top five or ten goals. Good thing the Blackhawks didn't panic on Kane, Kane, right? right, yeah. Yeah. And they gave away a defenseman for practically nothing. And... Look, if you really think that he's this problem that you can't deal with, I'm okay with that, I guess. I wouldn't be as a Bruins fan. But the buzz coming out like from the league was that they didn't really shop him. Like It wasn't made known to 30 teams that Dougie Hamilton was available. Right, just all of a sudden he was traded to Calgary Calgary for a package. Good good for Calgary. Holy cow. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what the Bruins are doing, and I love it as a Sabres fan. And a lot of their picks, I guess, when – People were, thought they were packaging the picks to move up, and they just it was like 13, 14, 15, or 14, 15, 16. They made all those picks, and even the picks, I guess, were head scratchers in some cases. Three three of the top eight picks were NCAA players. I tweeted over the weekend. There's just absolutely no reason for any American to play in the CHL ever again. I know they will, but I think they're wrong. Yeah, I know. Uh, you still get the, that. The only reason, too, is if you just you can't do, you can't do school. Right, yeah. You know, then, okay, I get it. The Otherwise, lo- I don't. The local radio here, uh, WGR, has a Facebook page, and WGR reaches Canada and Toronto, their airwaves do, so you get some reaction from their Facebook page from, like, Toronto fans, and a lot of it uh, about guy, it must have been about Eichel, which is a joke, but maybe it's just trolling, but people are like, oh, he didn't play in a real league. Like, Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that just goes to show you, I mean, apparently the – the scouts think that it might be a real league. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's absurd. The schedule is announced. October 8th is the first Sabres game. It's a Thursday night here against uh, the Senators. I think Chicago has a game the day before. The 7th is the first day of the season, uh, but almost everyone plays the 8th. Uh, the Hall of Fame announced its newest class. Phil Housley, former Sabres among it. Sergei Fedorov is a name. Yeah. Uh, Nick Lidstrom, which was a, oh, a shocker that he got in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that happened. Anything else hockey-wise with the draft or any trades you wanted to mention before we move on? No, I'm just, as a Sabres fan, I'm totally geeking out about the whole thing. I bought my tickets for the 
blue and gold game. They never sold tickets for this thing. Before. They had to this time. I think time. they had yeah. to. I mean, they're 10 bucks. They're yeah, really, they had to do it because you just can't have 30,000 people show up. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I bought my tickets for that. I'm excited. I'm excited as a hockey fan. I'm ready for it. It'll make the uh, sting of fall and winter if sweet. If a really rich man came up to you okay, and said, you can make a bet. And if you win the bet, I'll pay your mortgage off. <laughs> you have to choose between the Sabres will make or miss the playoff next year. Boy, what would you do? Where would, where would you put the money? I imagine if they make the playoffs, that would be some sort of historic, like for as bad as they were to make the playoffs. The one thing I would say though is I don't love the teams that were ahead of them. Like, and nobody who's been as bad as they were. Um, were, has ever been in a position to spend the way they did, draft a guy like they did. You know, it's kind of different. But, no, it would be a historic a change. Depending on how high eighth place is, that might only be, like, you know, 91 points. If I had to make the guess today, I'd probably say no. But July 1st is tomorrow, and if they get one more piece, then maybe my maybe my mind changes. I just think they're still – I don't know how good Laner is. What if you put I, it this way and said, I'll give you – Three payments for no. I'll give you twelve payments for yes. I think I'd go yes then. You take the risk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I would take the risk. Um, I don't love Montreal. We talked about that. Even though they were the one of the best teams in the East, I think Carey Price had the greatest year he's ever. Yeah, he won four awards. Yeah. So I mean, Tampa's going to be good still. Detroit. Will probably be good. They make they the playoffs every year, so just give them a spot. Right. Yeah. Ottawa, I think, will be worse. Um, so the top four in the division make. Well, no, it could be wild cards. Top three in each division, and then two wild cards. Right. Yeah. Um, They'll be in the conversation for quite a while. Yeah. And if they're really in the conversation, who knows what they might add to the team near the deadline? Yeah. Yeah. So that, we'll see. That'd be surprising to see this year, but. I'm excited. I'm super excited. Second thing, the Women's World Cup is close to over, Don. I don't know if you noticed. This thing is getting great ratings. It's one of those weird things where it's getting like 5 million people for the U.S. games, and I know not any of the 5 million, apparently, that watched it. Yeah, this is one of those weird things with me, like... When wrestling got like its second heyday in the was it the nineties? The Attitude Era in the late nineties. Yeah, I was watching it. I don't know how I came back into it. Whatever, kids at the bus stop talking about it. Something, Uh, and then I stopped and I just assumed wrestling went away. You know what I mean? Because like four million people a week still watch. Right, in my mind, it still went away. That's kind of how the World Cup was. I actually watched a couple of those games to begin, but then it all became about the Sabres draft for me and. Well, we're down to four. The U.S. plays Germany tonight. Uh, I'll update how that went uh, in the book club update. I still, I said this last week on the podcast, there's no way they're beating Germany or France. Uh, Germany and France ended up playing their game to uh, penalties. Okay. And Germany won five penalties to four. Yeah, I think you said you thought Germany was the best team. They did beat China, though, right? I still think, yeah, they beat China, who was a very young, young team. And they played their best game by far okay. against China. And they get some people back who had to miss the China game because of too many yellow cards, uh, which remains among the most ridiculous things in soccer. <laughs> uh, and the other two is England, who beat Canada, and uh, Japan, uh, the reigning champs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the French players were very upset uh, with the draw. Um, I think U.S., Germany, and France were three of the top four. 
teams uh, all on the same side. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, they do it different in women's, and they do men's to avoid. In the men's, they actively try to avoid this. In the women's, it's still sort of random. And oh, okay. the French players, although they came off as maybe bitter because they had just lost a heartbreaker, they're right. Come on. Why are the three of the top four teams on the same side of the bracket? Right. You know, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, cer- you don't want a final. Certainly or... seem like they very much tried to pave the way for Canada. Oh, really? the final, yeah. and uh, Canada uh, lost to England, who got up 2 nothing, gave up one late in the first, and then, as you can do only in soccer, uh, just kick the ball down the field for 45 minutes and <laughs> uh, never, uh, never got it in. So... It's getting good ratings. I think the non-U.S. games are averaging about 800,000 people, okay. um, which is probably akin to a regular season hockey game, I guess. Sure. And then the uh, the U.S. games, like I said, about 5 million. Um, so we'll see like what said, they get. I don't get. know who's watching it, but it's pretty we'll good. We'll see what they get if they get past Germany uh, and play in the final. Last thing. Third thing. This is not a commercial. Okay. For us? Uh, for anyone. Okay. Uh, but it, uh, this is the week that the double SI Where Are They Now issue comes out. And I only mention it because on the cover is Brett Favre in a Packers jersey uh, for the first time since he had his falling out with the Packers. Uh, and in the article, he made news. Oh, uh, Brett Favre now wearing a Packers yeah. jersey. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, his first time uh, in the, the green and yellow since the falling out. And in the uh, in the article, he says he could still play. <laughs> now there's okay. there's a caveat. Yeah, if he didn't need to get hit. Oh, okay. He says he could still take snaps, read defenses, and throw the ball. Maybe not as far as he used to be able to, but that doesn't matter anyway. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. Uh, but he could make the throws needed to be an NFL quarterback. He just couldn't take the hits. Yeah, wasn't look. I I like Favre a lot. I his career became a circus at the end, but. Uh... Wasn't a lot of his thing being the gunslinger, running around, improvising? Like, if that's part of your game, I mean, I know he's obviously just talking. We all know he would very much struggle. Right. Yeah. Like, he was never just a sit there and throw the ball passer. I mean, uh, what's his name? Peyton Manning gets away with that because he's a phenomenal passer. I wanted to ask you this really strange and obviously unrealistic hypothetical question. Okay. If the NFL granted the Bills a red jersey... Like where he didn't have to get hit? Would you take Favre instead of the guys you had? Wow. Because the Bills are the one team, uh, or one of the teams that maybe would think about this. Would you take 45-year-old red jerseyed Favre over Matt Castle? How, How accurate was Favre? I mean, I know, I know he could gun it. Look, but... he threw his mistake. He, yeah, he, he throws his picks, he, but he wouldn't have any sack fumbles. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to sack him. I, I think then... if I was going to do that, I would rather tell EJ Manuel or Tyrod Taylor, not Matt Castle, but I would rather tell one of those two guys, "Look, go out there, and if you throw a pick, you throw a pick." But I want you to gun yeah. the ball around the field. I don't think he'd throw that many picks. I'd, if I was the Bills, I'd probably take five in the red jersey. Yeah, I just he just never was like a just a stand there pocket passer. I don't know. See, but I think the, the fact that I had he to can think very about it. easily run around a bit. Okay, behind there, you're not asking him to run the forty. So what do you have? Is it like two hand touch on him then? If they touch him, yeah, I guess or flag football. Okay. I don't know. You know, or maybe a three second hold. Yeah, I I mean, 
I would have to think about it, which tells you a lot about our quarterback <laughs> situation. Matt Castle might get cut, yeah. by the way. I, We're getting silly. Yeah. Yes. This is clearly a slow news day. As they say. <laughs> uh, I would still trade for Peyton Manning. I mean, we had this talk last year, but I think the Bills roster, 21 guys deep, is as good as any in the league. Would you trade the next two first-round picks for him? Yeah, probably, because yeah. they're going to be picked. Hopefully 27 or something. Take a shot in those two years that you get one and it's worth it. I mean, that's why when when the uh, Saints traded Graham and people pondered like, oh, are they rebuilding? It's like I would have given anything for Breeze for those however many years he has left. I was annoyed by Peter King. I I was reading his – he had like 100 facts or 100 things column on the – Monday morning QB, yeah, and one of them was about the Saints, and he just basically says, "This might be Sean Payton's last year there." No reason why it would be his <laughs> last year there, or he just just says that, yeah. And it's like this is why this happens. Things like Drew Brees is going to be traded because when Super Graham respected people, when Graham was traded, someone right. just said they might want to trade Brees too, right? Because you know. Peter King said today or yesterday, whenever this column came out, that this year might be Sean Payton's last year in New Orleans. Since we're just in- because it might be, yeah, it might be. He might die. <laughs> you know, they might go zero and sixteen, and he might have a fist fight with the owner in the locker room, and they may fire him. Yeah, of course it might be. Right, but I mean, that's pretty irresponsible. I think. You know, it also might be the last year of the league because the sun might crash into the moon and we all might die. (laughs) But, all right, let's take a break. We're going to come back with Mark Simon. Our next guest is from New York City. And as a graduate of the College of New Jersey, he blogs on ESPN, helps cover the Mets and Yankees, tweets about stats and info, and is working a, on a book about the Yankees. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Mark Simon. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How are you? Oh, very good. I think I told you on Twitter, but you know, the very first time, Jonah Carey is a good friend of our podcast. Uh, he comes on very often, you know, two, three times a baseball season, maybe once in the off season, And um, he, I think, was the one who posted the video of you doing all 60 outs of the last 60 World Series. And I was just like, wow, that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that was done. That's something I've been able to do for years, and just to explain to your listeners what it is, uh, there was a viral video that was sent out last year. In fact, I think Jonah was the one who took it off my Facebook page and (laughs) circulated it globally, and it it got picked up to the tune of 22,000 views. But what I did was it was um, a recitation, uh, I guess is the best way to describe it, as as what you said, uh, the last 60 final outs of the World Series and fi- well, more final plays than final outs. Right, because you have home runs in there. and right. right, and there was a little acting it out, and there was a little bit of, uh, it was very high energy 
uh, I guess, kind of description. I, I race through a few of them. I, uh, I, do, I imitate the celebration a couple of times. Uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm working on a sequel at the moment uh, that uh, I think will be a little bit more, have a little bit more production value to it. Uh, I was surprised at how well people responded. But the thing that I said after it was done was everyone's got their something that is silly minutia that they know that nobody else knows. Mine just happened to be something that I was able to share publicly, uh, you know, whether it's obscure TV trivia or whatever the, uh, the history or, or whatever the case may be. A lot of people would do that with historical kind of things, like reciting the presidents. And I actually did that. Uh, the way that that kind of got jump-started was I did it for a group of people at the Society for Baseball Research National Convention. And they called someone over, and the guy says, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? What's your... And I explained, and he said, what's your area of expertise? And I said, I have two expertises, the history of the New York Mets, and that I can name the last play of the last World Series, for, or the last play of the World Series for the last six years. And he says, can you demonstrate? And I do. And at the end, he applauds, and he says, it's good to see that you have picked a vocation that has fit your skill set perfectly. <laughs> and I like that. That, that. that felt good. I think the first, I know that the first World Series I remember watching was the 85 World Series that the Royals won. I think the first World Series that I remember seeing every single game and every single out was the 91 World Series with the Braves and the Twins. Sure. And I think uh, if I, if I have, Larkin. And I think if I have a favorite World Series, geez, I don't know, that 2001 one was pretty amazing with the Yanks and the Diamondbacks. Uh, yeah, I think as, as a neutral observer, I think that one in 91 are the two best that I've seen. Yeah, I think that those would be. So I was going to ask you if you have a, a favorite World Series, both as a neutral observer and as a fan. You have a favorite? All right. Yeah. So neutral observer, I guess 91 and 01 are the, are the two best. I think that that's fairly clear cut. Um, they have similar components uh, in that there were a lot of walk-offs. I like walk-offs. That's uh, the other thing that I think I can... Uh, do pretty well uh, in terms of describing and talking about, um, but they and they had the dramatic finishes. They had great pitching in the final game. They had a little bit of everything that would appeal to a baseball fan. From a, a uh, partial standpoint, my favorite World Series, of course, has to be 1986, and that's in the Red Sox. Where were you during uh, the last inning of Game Six? Oh, uh, like, the funny you... story with that yeah. is that um, I was 11 at the time, and I was sitting in the same spot that I sat in for uh, in 1994 when the Rangers played the Devils in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and uh, it's a little spot, in, like uh, maybe a foot in front of the television, like practically with my face glued up against it. Right. And uh, my father had three friends over, and sure enough, after everything that happened happens, I turn around, one of them had fallen asleep. Oh, no. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, man. So you wake him up, and what do you say? You're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That, oh, man. That happened to me for a, a Sabres and Devils playoff game, the long one that uh, Dave Hannon ended up ending uh, on a goal against Martin Brodeur in the odd. It was either the, I think it was the second last year in the odd. And I fell asleep like in the second overtime and woke up to my dad blasting the goal horn. Like trying oh, to figure can't. out like, what, <laughs> you can't fall asleep. I, I have yeah. I have a rule against falling asleep. Yeah, it was brutal. I was embarrassed. <laughs> Believe me, it's a, it's an embarrassment. So, but the other thing with the video, I know you have a lot of ESPN related guests, uh, and you've had Trey and yeah, Linda, Linda Cohen and, today. and other 
people, none of them would be surprised if you told them what I've done. In turn, if they haven't already seen the video, they would. All, if you told them, oh, Mark Simon does did this crazy video, they would totally believe it. That's kind of uh, it's par for the course. Well, you know, I was really interested in learning also about you being uh, one of the members of the team that tweets from the at ESPN Stats and Info uh, sure. Twitter, and for one because. It's got to be interesting for you having your own Twitter, which has yep. about 27,000 followers, which is a great amount of people, a really good audience. You're tweeting to that. And then the contrast of tweeting to an account with over a million followers. Yeah, there is, there is a, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> there yeah. is a big difference. Yeah. Uh, so just to explain, again, to, to explain to people, ESPN Stats Info is uh, Twitter for the Stats and Information Group. Uh, at ESPN. And what our group does is we work with uh, the producers and we work with the on-air talent and we work with the ESPN.com writers and we work with ESPN Radio. We work with all the different arms of ESPN. We're the information providers. If you see a graphic on a show, if you see a, uh, if you hear a stat said by a member of uh, our on-air talent, if you see a, a font across the bottom of your screen that gives some sort of statistic, that stat has either been created, vetted, uh, or whatever the other option is by our group. Uh, we have we number um, in total we number well over a hundred. The research department, which is where I started, currently numbers about forty to fifty. They're the ones that work most closely with uh, producers and on-air talent. Twitter is is something that we got into uh, once we decided. Uh, it would be good for us to have our own outlet uh, and a way of presenting our information. And it's a good way to ensure, too, that uh, a lot of the hard work that we put in uh, has a payoff in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we also have our own blog. Uh, it is the Stats and Info blog. If you were to Google it, it would uh, come up. Uh, and I am uh, one of the people who edits that blog. We have a team of four people uh, that are kind of the management team of both the Twitter and the blog. I'm one of those four. I was one of the, I guess, the originals uh, for that. And, uh, yeah, we're, we, we're not quite 24-7, but we're probably uh, 18 to 19 hours a day as things happen in games. The types of things that you would see or hear on SportsCenter, we get them out right away. We put them on our Twitter uh, and share them with people, and uh, there seems to be a lot of interest in them based on the, the follower count, 1.1 million. Right. Now, there's one thing that people love to do on the Internet more than anything, and that's tell other people they're wrong. I mean, <laughs> it happens <laughs> even to a small podcast like us. Uh, a, a couple months ago, I got a, t- a tweet from someone who was so upset with me that I had called uh, James Harden, Joe Harden, and a podcast that we had done two years ago. Um, in an interview with Jack McCollum, and I was very sorry I'd made that mistake, uh, you know, two years ago. But explain, you know, that there is also a, a very successful professional athlete named Joe Harden, and you know, occasionally you can make a small error like that. But he was so pleased. Um, now that's a really small scale. What is yep. it like on? And I know you, you, you guys research and vet, but occasionally it, it has to happen. You tweet something from the ESPN stats and info account. And it's wrong or not quite accurate or maybe interpret it can be interpreted a few different ways and someone's killing you. I mean, that mentioned thing just got to fill up with just people ready to kill it. And what, <laughs> what, what, what is the feeling like? How do you react? How, what's the protocol? How do you work out when a mistake is made? Sure. That, uh, that actually happens a lot. Um, and, and what 
what makes it hard is that in their replies on Twitter, uh, people reply off of everything. And people reply with you're wrong without having necessarily fully vetted it. Right. Uh, so, or they may have, a, it may be a simple misunderstanding where they, they misread. Uh, notes are very specific. When we send out a note, uh, it's very easy to change the meaning of the note by deleting one word. Uh, and if someone doesn't read the note exactly as it's written or misinterprets the way that a note is written, they could easily think it's wrong when it isn't. So we get, we get far more accusations of incorrectness than I think there are actual instances of incorrectness. And what we look for is we look for instances where people show their, their proof, basically, uh, because it's the one way that we can ensure that, in fact, they're right and we're not. And if someone tells us that we're wrong, that's fine. We will usually reply uh, directly to that person if they're civil uh, and uh, and their account isn't uh, dicey in any way. Uh, we'll reply, we'll delete the tweet, uh, we'll put up a, a correct version. Uh, we will be very uh, careful when it comes to uh, something like that. Uh, we're constantly checking our own work. As I said, there are a lot of people working in stats and info, and uh, it's, yeah, there are a lot of people working in stats and info. Sometimes we find things that are right. Uh, sometimes we find things that are wrong, and we, do, we make every honest effort that we can to correct it. It's kind of like you were saying how everyone has their thing, and yours is like the World yep. Series. There's someone out there who their thing is like the Chicago Blackhawks, and during Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final... They are just obsessed with the idea that maybe ESPN won't know something I know about the Blackhawks. Right. And I can correct, correct them. And it's just so pleasing for people. I haven't quite figured it, is. it out. But, it is. Yeah. Welcome to social media. <laughs> right. Uh, do you have a – this is maybe a silly question, but do you have a stat or a, a moment in researching for a game or an event where you came up with something and you were just – because when you do something like research stats, it it really is pleasing when you when you find just such a cool one, a gem. Does something stick out as uh, a time where you unearth a, a stat or something like that, and we're so excited to share it, and it was maybe yep. a hit with the broadcast or just something about it was uh, makes it stick out. Sure. Well, a lot of us uh, in the department, if we do something of that nature, uh, you might hear every now and then someone on air will drop a mention uh, of you, of that person by name on the air. Those are uh, cool. Those are fun. Uh, a lot of people in this department have gotten that. If I'm picking a, a favorite, this is a terrible humble brag kind of thing. Do it. Um, but I, I've gotten a kick out of being retweeted by certain people. Uh, and one of the, the first, I guess, that would uh, that floored me where I was just like in a state of shock was Jerry Seinfeld's a big Mets fan and on a number of occasions he has uh, retweeted or replied to me and I always am staggered by that and I had the opportunity to interview him uh, recently uh, within the last uh, year or so and it was uh, great fun and we talked about my Twitter and we talked about Stats and Info Twitter and uh, he's a big fan of heat maps if you've seen those yeah, yeah. on Twitter. Uh, and that, that to me is really cool to him. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm just, I find something I like, I share it. Uh, but I don't, sometimes maybe you don't realize the impact that something like that has. It had, I'm sure he does, but it had a huge impact on uh, me and on our group. It seems like Jerry has had a really good time in the last year or two kind of interacting with Matt's Twitterverse or being a part of the online Mets community. He does. Yeah. He's, he's a legitimate, from interviewing him, I did a Q&A with him uh, a year ago, he has a very, uh, a very passionate fanship uh, for that team, bigger even than I thought that it was. Well, 
obviously with your thing being the, the last outs of the World Series, that doesn't happen without being a huge baseball guy. And your personal Twitter, at ESPN has tons of great uh, baseball uh, gems. It's a great way to, to follow along during the season. And, uh, and, of course, you blog about all kinds of baseball things. I want to ask you a couple current uh, baseball questions. Sure. You know, we have our we have our guys for like uh, for sports. You know, like Lee Jenkins is our basketball guy. He's actually been on the show more than anyone twenty times. And then with baseball, we have Jonah, who's kind of our advanced stat guy. Kind of sees the game that way more than uh, maybe Jeff Passan is kind of our other baseball guy, and he's sort of a tweener. He's not exactly a traditionalist, but he's not fully committed to being a advanced stats guy either. Um, and then we have Ben Ryder, and we have all kinds of different uh, baseball guys. Um, why do you think, because Jonah is a guy who, when we had him on before the season, we're talking about the season, really thought that the Royals would be a team that would be very prone for regression this year. And it seemed like that was a really popular opinion. And here they are, 74 games into the season. They're 14 games over 500. They're in first place by five games in the Central. What is it about that team, do you think, that many of us uh, – misread in terms of anticipating a huge regression from them? I think uh, it's a, a combination of things. One is that they have an incredible amount of talent. Now, that talent didn't necessarily come to the surface uh, in full until last season, and particularly the end of last season. But when you talk about the Hosmers and the Moustakises, those are guys that were first-round picks that were somewhat of an underachieving uh, player. Uh, and they're now, I guess they're, you could make the case that their boost is very much a confidence-related boost, uh, and they're performing to a level that you would think that they would perform to, that you would have thought that they would have been on a trajectory to perform to uh, when their career started. The other thing that they have going for them certainly is the back of the bullpen, and the value of the back of the bullpen being as important as it is. And they've made good choices uh, with, with making sure that they got Wade Davis in that kooky uh, Will Myers trade with signing Ryan Madsen, who was left off the scrap heap uh, a year ago. And the other thing that they have going for them is that their defense is fantastic. Uh, they have plus defenders uh, to excellent defenders at just about every position other than maybe right field uh, at this point. And I think the value of defense uh, in today's game can't be understated. And they've put together about as good a defensive team as you could put together in Major League Baseball. I mentioned Ben Ryder, and he's a Yale kid, and uh, he had an ESPN co- or excuse me, an SI cover story uh, last year about the Astros and the way that they were building their team. And I think the the headline or to the cover story, which he didn't write, but was something like uh, the Houston Astros, the nineteen or two thousand and nineteen World Series winners, or something like that. And now last yep. week he updated the story, and um, they kind of did a slick thing on the cover where they crossed off whatever year they had and updated it to this year. What is it about this Astros team, forty-six and thirty-four, um, second best baseball, second best I think record in baseball? What is it about them that has made them have such success a lot earlier, maybe than we anticipated? Well, they picked out the fact that it, that in this environment, uh, home runs are a rare commodity, and they've kind of cornered the market in those. Uh, who would have thought Luis Valbuena would hit 19? I'm looking at their leaderboard now. Carter's got 14. Springer and Gaddis have 13 each. And the nice thing about home runs is they're not reliant on anybody else. You just have to have guys that are strong enough to hit the guy to the park. 
and in that bandbox that they play in, uh, that's not difficult. They also happen to have a top two uh, in Keiko and McHugh, and I know McHugh's numbers are down a little bit, but uh, Keiko has transformed himself into an elite pitcher. His ERA this season is two, uh, and he's done that uh, not necessarily through strikeouts, but through weak contact. All he gets is weak ground ball after weak ground ball, and the infield defense is good enough to handle those weak ground balls. So they have a guy who's for lack of a better term, Kershaw-ian uh, at the right. top of their rotation, uh, who's uh, who's carrying them at this point in what is a fairly weak division. McHugh, for a good stretch of the season, was a really good number two. Uh, he ran into a little bit of a slump. He seems to have figured it out the last couple of starts. Pitched great against the Yankees recently. And then they call up a prospect uh, who was fairly highly regarded in McCullers, uh, who's been pretty good. Uh, he was the 41st overall pick a couple of years ago, and he's living up to his talent. He has a two, uh, two ERA, and also they have a good bullpen. Uh, if it's, um, I mean, we don't know the names necessarily, Will Harris and Pat Neshek and Tony Sip and Luke Gregerson, but they're getting it done at the end of games. They might be overachieving a little bit, but they're getting it done, and then that's the bottom line. It doesn't matter how you win. You just want to win, right? Right. Speaking of winning, not much of it is happening in the AL East, although there is a lot of teams who are decent, four teams separated by half a game. Do you like one of those teams more than any of the others, or do you think they're going to kind of be bunched up together uh, for most of the year? You're talking to a guy who picked the Red Sox to win the AL East. Ouch, yeah. Uh, they're <laughs> six out. I actually don't think they're done yet. No, uh, not, not in that division, right? Yeah, not not division. I think they underachieved at the start of the season. Um, I do a spot on Fantasy Focus each Thursday where I talk for like, I do like a two minute ramble on different topics. And one of them about three, four weeks ago was about Clay Buckholtz and how Clay Buckholtz numbers and all his peripherals, the strikeout to walk and the home runs allowed numbers, were far better than a guy who had a five and a half ERA or whatever it is. And in the last couple of weeks, he's dropped that ERA, he's shaved two points of it, off of it. I guess I hate to say it, they're almost better off without Hanley because Hanley impacts their defense so greatly uh, in left field. But if he is a decent defender, if Napoli shapes up, if Ortiz hits better than 228, maybe they have something there. Um, Baltimore is pretty good. Tampa is another one of those teams that just seems to find a way. The Yankees could go out and get Cole Hamels tomorrow and make themselves much more of a contender. And the Blue Jays are a fantastic team in their home ballpark. I don't think you want to write off anyone in that division at this point, so I certainly won't. Yeah, and that's an interesting too, too, thing about the Yankees is that they've been kind of, I don't, I don't I guess laid back in terms of acquisitions maybe isn't exactly the right term, but for the Yankees maybe. Uh, and I wonder if this is the year that they really make a push at the deadline and try to... Uh, try to take over that division. I I was lucky enough to get home, I don't know if it was last Saturday or the Saturday before, literally as Scherzer was stepping on the mound for the ninth inning uh, <laughs> of his just-missed-perfect game and, and got to turn that on and catch that and was just blown away, and I'm sure you are as a stack guy as well, when you look at the middle start being the one with the, with the just-missed-perfect game. The start before, I think, maybe against the Brewers – um, which was incredible. I could be wrong about the Brewers. And then even the one after the perfect game where he went, what, another six innings? Right, uh, five, yeah. Five. What did you think of uh, Scherzer's dominance from a statistical perspective and what he's been able to do this year in the National League? 
Well, I'm glad you asked because it gives me a chance to plug something that I wrote about him. I, I did a Q and A with him. Uh, he actually came by the campus uh, just on what we, we well, I guess, what we would call a tour of uh, the ESPN campus, where he went on about six or seven different shows, and I got 15 minutes uh, to talk with him. The car wash. Uh, right? He's he's one of the more intelligent pitchers uh, in the game, and he's also happens to be blessed with a lot of talent. He strikes out guys at a rate of about 11 per nine. He never walks anybody. He doesn't give up home runs. That's a formula for great success, particularly in the National League where you get to face the pitcher and the number eight hitter twice every nine turns. Uh, he has figured out a way to make himself, at least as long as his arm holds up, a Superman-esque kind of pitcher, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, when we were talking, a uh, number of things that he said that I, I thought were interesting. One was watching him react the way he reacted when I asked him about uh, the ALDS a couple of years ago when he got out of that bases loaded, nobody out jam in the eighth inning, yep. and just watching his face kind of light up and the emotion and the adrenaline kind of taking over as he relived the at-bat. A couple of the other things that he brought up were how uh, how he he makes it a point to be so much on the same page with the coaching staff with regards to the positioning of everyone. He says, I trust them. I know that they will uh, that they will be right by me. I am fine with however they position guys. I'm going to pitch uh, the way that I pitch, and I know that they'll work with me on that. Uh, I'm also uh, very cognizant of the positioning of my outfielders, and I, position, I pitch to that as well, and he gave an example. Uh, and he also talked about studying data, studying things. Uh, I think he was alluding to things like pitch FX, uh, and making sure that he was doing what he needed to do to induce weak contact, get a lot of strikeouts, and allow not a lot of and walk very few guys. And I guess right now he's checking off every box. Yeah, no kidding, right? He's been awesome. Yeah. Like he's been he's been ridiculous for. And remember, he got off to a little bit of a shaky start, and then he had a bad start in Yankee Stadium right after like right after I spoke to him. But then these last it's the last three he's. 25 in it, 26 innings, 33 strikeouts, one walk, six hits allowed. That's ridiculous. I wonder if the Nats might want to think about shutting him down for the year. Um, just, <laughs> just now you're sh- making Steven Strasburg. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. That's a cheap shot, right? That isn't even that. Yeah. That might even be a little hack. I don't know. Uh, the yeah. sportscasters are here with Mark Simon. He's at M Simon ESPN on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to give him a chance to lay out all the cool stuff he does for ESPN in a second. A um, couple last quick things. Uh, yeah, sure. We have the Bisons here, you know, and I'm guilty of not getting out and seeing them enough. I have a beautiful AAA ballpark, and I don't, I don't do it enough. Uh, and one thing we do try to do every year, though, is take my dog there. They have this promotion called, you know, Dog Day. It's this gimmick. You bring your dog. It's to walk around the warning track before the game. And, you know, you sit with them for a few innings, feed them a hot dog, and you leave. Uh, the one time we took them, uh, we're going down there. And I think it was, yeah, it was when the Blue Jays uh, were still the affiliate. Uh and uh, the Blue Jays had, I'm trying to think who it was. One of their big starters was down for a uh, rehab assignment. And then they were playing the Pirates affiliate, and it was one of Garrett Cole's starts. And I'm a huge, you know, we're talking about things you love. One of the things I love is uh, first overall picks. And um, we're walking around the warning track, and um, the the bullpens at the at the stadium, I still call it Pilot Field. I don't know what they call it right now. I've changed the name so many times. The bullpens are just uh, kind of right there, like you know, they're just it's just a pile of dirt, sort of outside of the baseline, basically. And we're walking around, and you get closer and closer to Garrett Cole, and you're just looking at this guy and thinking, like, my 
God, this guy is massive. And I, I slowed down, like trying to get my dog to walk really slow by that point, you know, so I can watch him throw some pitches up close. And it's so hard and just had a different sound to it almost. And I've just been really fascinated uh, with him since and kind of been following his his progression. He's had a really good season so far, certainly a lot of wins. Uh, what do you think of Garrett Cole and his uh, his development as a 1-1 in Pittsburgh? Did you ask me that because you knew that I picked Garrett Cole as the preseason sleeper to win the NL Cy Young? No, I did not know that. <laughs> it's on Twitter. Every time every time he pitches and pitches really well, I, I either retweet it or I tweet out, sleeper Cy, uh, I picked him and Chris Archer, uh, and those picks are going pretty well right now. I made standard picks, too, but I said if you're going to take someone way off the cuff, uh, go with those two guys. He's fantastic. Uh, but what would you expect? He was the number one pick, right? right he should yeah. be elite. He's got nasty stuff. Uh, he's got swing and miss stuff. He's got weak contact stuff. Uh, Pirates were smart to get him. They have a good team behind him, a uh, good defense behind him to uh, allow him to do what he does best. Sometimes it takes a guy a couple of years to come into his own, and I think you're seeing that right here. There's, um, this guy, Andy Andrus, is talking to me recently. He says, uh, if you're big, in fact, that was what inspired my cold pick. He says, post-type prospect theory. Uh, you need to just remember that and stick with it. Uh, when you're picking a fantasy team, and I'm thinking about that, and uh, I'm like, well, Garrett Cole is a much hyped prospect. He hasn't. He's been kind of under the radar late, recently. He seems like a, a guy who could develop into his own, and he has. I mean, you can't you can't expect everyone to turn into Mike Trout overnight, but uh, he's he's done a nice job of developing as he probably should develop. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the one ones. Uh, I was going to pay for my college with my Brian Taylor rookie card. Ooh. Um, yeah, that one that one didn't work out. Mark, before I let you go, why don't you tell everyone uh, all the cool ways that they can find you across the ESPN platforms and uh, let you go, because I already took a little bit more time than uh, I asked for. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. All right, so ESPN Stats and Information can be found on Twitter at ESPN Stats Info. The Stats and Info blog can be found off a link from our uh, Twitter page. We, we don't really, like, most people don't go to the blog. They, they see us more through individual stories, which is fine. You can also uh, find me specifically on Twitter at msimonespn. If you're looking for an easy way to remember that, it's MS, which are my initials. I'm on ESPN. Uh, people always point that out to me, and they think that I'm a woman, which I think is kind of weird. But regardless, msimonespn, MS, I'm on ESPN, either one. Uh, you can find me there, and uh, you will see I tweet. I tweet a decent amount, and I hope if you follow me, I hope you like baseball. Yeah, we're looking forward to the Yankees book. When you get it out, we'll definitely work something uh, out with the publisher. Yeah, that, that's right. Just to yeah. give a quick, a quick plug on that, I'm writing a book on the history of the Yankees, as told through their statistical accomplishments. Surprise, surprise. Perfect. It's, yeah, it's an ideal fit. It's being published by Triumph Books. First two books in the series are out. Tigers and Mets series is called The Numbers Don't Lie. Again, you can find it on, uh, you can find it at triumphbooks.com. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm like three, four months from deadline uh, and working hard on it every day. Mark, thank you so much for the time. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yep, thanks a lot. All right, I want to thank Mark Simon for being on the podcast today. It's 5 o'clock on Wednesday, about 24 hours after Don and I uh, recorded the first and last part of the podcast. And I said that I would record the book club update today after we knew uh, what ended up happening with interviews. And uh, Mark, we knew, uh, so we slotted him first. 
And we did a fantastic uh, 29 minutes or so that you just heard with Mark. And next, we're going to have Linda Cohn uh, from ESPN on. We're really excited. Uh, It's her first appearance as well. We are hoping it would work out that way. Uh, Brett Martin has got back to me. Hopefully, we'll do him next week. Uh, Really excited about that. So guests are working out. We're going to do a lot of different uh, things over the summer as uh, everything is kind of quieted and calmed down. So we'll see how everything works out. The U.S. women, amazing last night against Germany, making me look stupid. I said they just were not winning that tournament and were one game away from uh, proving me wrong. I I thought they wouldn't win it because I didn't think they were good enough to be Germany or France. Uh, But they really took it to Germany. Got a little luck when Sausage missed the penalty. Uh, but uh, they didn't miss theirs, and Hope Solo hasn't gotten a goal in a long time. Uh, it's doing fantastic, uh, and just really enjoying watching uh, the women play. Can't wait for Sunday. All right, quick book club update. Console Wars by Blake J. Harris. Maybe the last time uh, we'll plug the Sega, Nintendo, and the battle that defined a generation. I owe two people copies of this book. I got to get them out in the mail. I'm terrible at that, uh, but I still have two more. If you want a copy of Blake's book, uh, send me an email, thesportscasters at gmail.com. And, of course, you can listen to our interview uh, with Blake uh, a couple episodes back on our website, sports-casters.com. The game inside the secret world of Major League Baseball's power brokers. I'm done with this. Uh, It was a mouthful, but I really enjoyed it. And we got to get a hold of John uh, to talk with him about the book. It's 20 years ago, baseball. For self-destruction today, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Three men made it so. Hundreds of interviews. Five years in the making. Uh, that's the game. I have a copy of the game as well. If you want to email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, I can send that to you. All right, that's enough. A quick update on Wednesday. Uh, we will take a break and very excited as we will come back with Linda Cohn. Our next guest is from Long Island, New York, and is a graduate of SUNY Oswego. In 1992, she joined ESPN, where she's done play-by-play for games, interviewed tons of athletes, and has hosted more sports centers than anyone. Today's actually her 23rd anniversary of her first sports center, and she's making her first appearance on the podcast. A warm sportscasters, welcome to the great Linda Cohn. How are you doing today, Linda? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on. Uh, Really excited to have you, a SUNY Fredonia grad here. Awesome. Yeah, so it's all SUNY thing. We usually bring people into their fight songs, but uh, I, could just, I just could <laughs> I not track tell, down. I couldn't even hum it for you. I don't even know it. How bad is that? And I played ice hockey in Oswego all four years on the women's ice hockey team. Couldn't even tell you what this how it goes. I really wanted to play before the song. I wanted to play the overtime winner from the 2006 National Championship. And I know I've watched it on YouTube plenty of times, and I just... I just, could, I just couldn't find it. It must just not be up anymore. I found this Who one. Knows? I found this one clip of like uh, a news story from the Oswego school, and they had the clip, but it was just too tight on. It didn't work. But have you uh, been to any games at the new ice rink at Oswego? I mean, I guess yeah, it's, it's not be- that new. I've been but... a couple of them. It's a beautiful facility. Looks a lot better than the facility I played in uh, at Romney Fieldhouse back in the day. They talk about an old barn. That thing, I mean, they didn't, they didn't even uh, put on the heat for the women's games, just the men's games. <laughs> Suniac hockey is sort of a, a gem in the hockey community that just is somewhat overlooked. Um, 
cool things like Plattsburgh has been in the championship game for like 25 straight years at the very least. Um, and the success of Oswego since their rink and for jo- Fredonia and Geneseo and Buff State, maybe below that. Um, just a really fun uh, thing that, that gets overlooked a little bit. How are I you? agree. Yeah, how are you feeling about uh, the way the Rangers have done since the end of the uh, since Game Seven, uh, losing at the Garden to Tampa? Um, how do you feel uh, with the moves that they've made, whether it be today or you know the Hagelin trade or just everything that they've done to try to get over the seven game seventh game hump uh, from last? Yeah, month? you know, it, here's the deal. I mean, on paper, it's really kind of scary because. It doesn't look like the Rangers improved themselves. Um, but we have to wait and see, you know, um, with, with the Hagelin deal. I'd hate, I hated to see him go, but they get back a, a player that's younger and bigger. Uh, not as fast as Hagelin, but still fast. And Etem uh, from the Anaheim Ducks. Um, so we got to see how that plays out. But um, I think the Rangers and their management, and by the way, Glenn Saver, their longtime yes. general manager yeah, since 2000, retired today. Um, you know, you have to see how these moves play out. I think uh, the Rangers are a type of team, I think after winning the President's Trophy and falling short of their goal, which is to win the Stanley Cup, I think they're now realizing, of course, that the President's Trophy really is no guarantee of winning a Stanley Cup. And as long as they get in the playoffs, anything can happen. They still have their core group. Um, so I still think they have enough talent on this team, you know, led by Henrik Lundqvist, Ryan McDonough, Dan Girardi, Mark Stahl, you know, Kevin Klein will be back 100% healthy. I don't think he was in the postseason. Um, you know, Keith Yandel, all these kind of players who will go through a full training camp. And, you know, Rick Nash can still put the puck in the net. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, yep. obviously, off a career year last year, um, I expect him to do the same and put up the same great numbers. So, you know, they have enough talent. We'll see what happens. But I don't think um, they'll stop making moves. And we'll see how the, they may, may not make another move until the regular season gets underway. Yeah, I was actually, I watched Game 7 with my brother who was home. He had just finished his senior year of hockey at Yale and uh, just graduated. We were watching and kind of talking. He actually, when he went on his official visit to BC, he stayed with Chris Kreider. And we were talking about how the Rangers just kind of felt, you know, they obviously they didn't get a goal in Game 5 at home. They didn't get a goal in Game Seven at home, and they kind of we we're talking about they were similar to his Yale team this year, where just felt like they were one goal away a lot of times, and maybe Zuccarello not being there was that goal. You know, maybe it's a different different series. Maybe they get that one goal, and Hank can carry it in Game Five or Game Seven if he's there. Um, and I, I think that maybe uh, the kind of really steep decline that St. Louis had uh, just wasn't the same guy in the playoffs. Maybe hurt a little bit too, but yeah, I mean, no, like. You know, they were counting on that because he was so good when they picked him up, yeah. you know, in the run to the finals, and it just wasn't there. And a lot of factors. I mean, there's no excuse to be shut out at home in the last two home playoff games. None, zero, very disappointing. Um, it just wasn't the way the season was supposed to end, not like go out with a whimper like the Rangers really did offensively. You know, defense and goaltending, they were solid, but... You know, you know how that is in hockey. Mm-hmm. There are always turning points. Sure, Zuccarello was there. He was a spark. He had a rippling, a rippling effect on the rest of the team. So you never know what could have happened. And also, um, even though Henrik Lundqvist was amazing, he lets up one bad goal in that overtime goal in Game Three. Right when they did, and five he didn't goals do that. I mean, that was a bad goal in that yeah. six-five game. You know, and he had a bad game for Henrik Lundqvist standards. Things would have been different. 
Yeah, you always expect to win games when you score five goals when Hank's behind you. Right. Uh, the um, We tried to get you on, I think, last year. It didn't work out. We got you this year, and I was thinking about you because I was at the Sabres draft party on Friday, and uh, they were showing uh, some different maybe Eichel reactions. There was something, and I noticed that you were doing some interviews uh, around the draft. And before we get to the draft, I want to ask you about how you feel Hockey is covered at ESPN. I mean, John Butchergrass does a great job uh, as an ambassador for college hockey in the United States. He certainly brought the game to more people. His overtime challenge during the playoffs, or any time he might decide to break it out, has been great. And even though that the games aren't there, um, it still seems like ESPN has done a, a, a decent job covering it. How do you feel as a hockey fan who's there um, with ESPN and hockey and looking forward probably to the World Cup? Um, uh, being on ESPN, if I recall correctly. Well, I'm ecstatic that the World Cup of Hockey is going to be on ESPN. Uh, you know, while, while Butchie Gross has carved out his niche, and I'm so glad he has with his overtime challenge, which is fun for the fans, and he is big on college hockey. I've always been about the NHL mm-hmm. from day one, and I, you know, I have this thing called Ice Time with Elko on my daily sports center at 1 p.m. Eastern where we always find something nugget or something to talk about. We've had insiders on the show. So um, definitely ESPN has figured it out and realizing, hey, what's going to give the opportunity for those who work at ESPN who are passionate about the about hockey in different ways, whether it's college hockey with Butchie or the NHL with me, give them a stage, give them an avenue. When ESPN sent me to the draft, that was amazing, and I was the only one that got one-on-ones with Jack Eichel, yeah. with Connor McDavid. So, I mean, to me, um, that was really amazing for me because that showed that, wait a minute, maybe you know ESPN is on its way back and doing what it can. Um, so we'll see what happens, but um, I love it. I have a passion for it. I always have, and you know, hopefully it will grow and grow. And I'm very um, active on Twitter, you know, at Linda Cohn. Um, regarding the NHL first. Yeah, Bill Hoffheimer is usually nice enough to hook us up with Mike Tirico every year. And we were talking last year when we did it about how much fun he had had at the U.S. Open and uh, how much he loved that event and looked forward to it. And we were kind of talking about uh, the rights uh, for that event shifting over to Fox and he kind of expressed a little disappointment. But he also mentioned how, you know, the thing about rights is that you're only the next contract away from them being back. That it's just such a such a cyclical thing that he never lets it's so far above what he does anyway. He never lets it bother him too much and, and things come back around. There's always other events. But I wonder uh how you felt when you found out that uh hockey was it's been a while now, obviously. It would have been nicer to ask you this question after the lockout in two thousand six or whatever, but how did you feel when hockey uh was no longer gonna be the main uh, on ESPN and was shifting to, I think, versus or OLN at the time, whatever they called it. Well, you know, it was disappointing, of course, um, was for anyone that works at ESPN or passionate about the game because we knew we built up such a following and people turned and knew, hey, where can I find a hockey game? Oh, yeah, ESPN, ESPN2. I mean, it was a no-brainer. It was always on. Some game was always on. And the probably the worst part of losing the hockey package, you know, was the fact that SportsCenter, turned it to attention to sports that they did have rights to. Um, more like the NBA, more you know, the NFL of course I'm I'm all aboard, I'm all in on the NFL. Yeah. You know. But 
there was more coverage on the NBA, more coverage of soccer, more coverage of uh, these other NASCAR, these other sports that, you know, um, now got the stage because there was no hockey coverage. And that was the only part that I, I really, I, was, I fight the fight every day, every day to get big hockey stories on, any hockey stories on SportsCenter. Looking at it as a hockey fan, do you think the NHL did the right thing? Well, it was a combination. I mean, I think, I mean, I wasn't in that meeting room discussing those talks, but I mean, it's a situation where I don't think the NHL looked big picture and realized that ESPN is so good at promoting the game, promoting personalities, the, uh, the intangibles that ESPN brings to a sport and helps it grow. I think ESPN got a little, uh, I think, and, um, the NHL got a little greedy thinking and hearing the promises that other networks like like you said, well, I forgot it was called Versus back then, and then, of course, NBC Sports Network right. and all the and NBC, what they could do for the sport. Um, while NBC should be commended in many ways, they have incredible talent there in the media um, and, and trying to sell the game. Um, you know, it was a situation where I think in that meeting room, both sides underestimated the power of the NHL fan and the hockey fan, um, you know, and the game. You mentioned the draft and being there, and I was at the Sabres draft party on Friday, and a lot of people laughed at us this season and said, how could you, you know, cheer against your team? And believe me, it was hard, and it was weird, and it was awkward, and it was long. It felt like it would never end. Uh, but being there Friday, it, it felt like as a fan, uh, and being there with probably, I think there was about 10,000 Sabres fans there. The whole lower bowl was full. The, the rink was full. Um and it felt like a great moment, uh, a sort of a validation as a fan to say we suffered through that, but to hear Tim Murray say his famous four words, um, uh, only four words, and to get Jack Eichel. You had a chance to be there and, like you said, get one of the few one-on-ones with him or the only one-on-one with him. Uh, talk about Jack Eichel and, and even Connor McDavid and, and um, how you feel about these next two ambassadors for the sport and kind of what jumped out to you. Um, interacting with both of them on on their draft day. Let's first talk about Jack Eichel. Um, the Hobie Baker Award winner, uh, the guy knows where the net is. He um, he will end up being the face of the Buffalo Sabres franchise. I truly believe that. His tremendous leadership. He's only 18. Um, obviously, he's going to make the team right away. If Dan Bosma is smart, he'll put him right on the power play. I mean, I would throw him in there in every situation where his talents can be um, just shine. And that's what Jack Eichel is going to do. He's a level-headed kid, and he's a smart kid. Both of them are. Um, both centers, of course, Connor McDavid, huge expectations, even more so than Jack Eichel. You know, he's got a lot of pressure on him going to Edmonton. But by talking with him, I feel like he can handle it because people are already comparing him to Wayne Gretzky, which is crazy. <laughs> crazy talk, I say. But uh, he is that good, and Edmonton has done so much uh, with Peter Chiarelli, the new GM who came from Boston, really improving that team. That team might see the biggest jump and uh, right. win total numbers uh, from year to year because of that kid and because of the other um, additions they've made. And as for Buffalo and Jack Eichel, um, it's funny, you know, I think it was out there in the media a lot, but I brought it up in my interview. Um, I said, you know, back when you were nine, Jack, you know, your dad, uh, you made a deal. I mean, he has planned out his life, by the way. I mean, since he was four, he told his family he wanted to play in the NHL. And then at nine, he told his father, hey, if I get a hockey scholarship, you buy me a car. 
And he told me the night of the draft, I said, what, you know, what about that car? He goes, I still haven't gotten the car, Linda. I haven't gotten the car <laughs> for my father yet, but I got a hockey scholarship. And I'm wondering, boy, I think his, his dad is knee-deep with gifts. He needs to get his son, Jack Eichel, because now he's drafted two overall, first American since uh, 2007. Right, when uh, it drafted as high as two, when Patrick Kane went yeah. one and James Van Rienstijk went two. So, I mean, um, it's really exciting. And that, that I thought was very impressive when I asked him about that, about that distinction. He was very honored uh, to go that high and being from the United States what that meant to him. So he's a good kid. I, I'm telling you, you know, with these two kids, if people, if they don't have the NHL package, they should buy it because you'll want to see these guys on a nightly basis, even though if you don't root for these teams. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about uh, Lindros was drafted here in Buffalo. The draft was here that year, and I was thinking about fans of the Nordiques and how tough it must have been to get the first overall pick and to be able to draft a guy like Lindros and, have him so against, you know, wanting to play there. And that was one of the things that's, that's one of the things that has made Jack Eichel uh, so exciting here is just how much, like how excited he legitimately is about being the face of Buffalo hockey for the next 10 or 15 years. And just how, as an 18 year old, how smooth and composed he is in expressing that. Exactly. And, and why wouldn't he want to come to Buffalo? He has a chance with all his talent. Now, they have a great regime now with Murray, and they have Bilesman as a coach, who, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, knows how to make young players develop well. Hello, Sidney Crosby, when Bilesman came in there in Pittsburgh. So who wouldn't want to be in Buffalo? Be the face of a franchise that has never won the Stanley Cup, and you could be a big reason why. I mean, what a challenge that is. And again, this is Jack Eichel now. He has planned out his life since he was a toddler, what he wants to do. He knows what he's doing. So every decision he makes, and a decision not to go back to BU, was a huge decision. So he is all in, all in. So Sabres fans have to be ecstatic. They cannot wait for the puck to drop. Yeah, and you know, anyone who cares about hockey in the United States has to be so excited about Jack Eichel's career. I mean, he went to the development program, spent his time there. Stayed on course, went to the NCAA. I know the team that had his rights in Quebec wanted him so badly and made many attempts. He stuck with it, played NCAA hockey. It's a great year for USA Hockey with three of the top eight picks being NCAA players for the first time. I actually seen my brother's last NCAA hockey game was against Eichel and BU in the first game of the NCAA tournament. And we were in New Hampshire, and I was standing in the one corner, and there's a kid on the Yale team named uh, Rob O'Gara, who's a Bruins a prospect and is going to be a, a stud, a diamond in the rough. They drafted him, I think, in the fifth round. Um, and he's so talented, and he's he's real tall and, and big and strong. And all right. year I've been watching him just out-muscle everyone, whether it's VC and Harvard. Didn't matter. This kid just was out-muscling everyone. And there was a time in the corner where Eichel, you know, three years younger than Rob, just kind of came in it and, and bumped him off the puck, and you could see Rob almost, like, surprised, like, whoa, who is this kid uh, muscling with me? And I remember I turned to my other brother who was standing there with me and said, wow, look at how strong he is already at 18, you know? Just jumped out. Yeah, yeah. no question. The sportscasters are here with Linda Cohn. She's at Linda Cohn on Twitter, www.lindacohn.net. Uh, great resource as well, and, of course, all the time on SportsCenter. Just a few minutes left with her. Uh, I have this really quick story about Jane Levy I wanted to share with you. Um, 
Okay. We, we tease her. We call her the first lady of the sportscasters when she comes on. She's been so kind to us from the beginning and been on several times, whether it was to talk about her Mickey Mantle book or to compare um, Derek Jeter as the guy for the Yankees in the last 25 years as compared when Mantle was and when she was a huge fan. But anyway, I was on the Internet one time and uh, I was on a message board and, and there was a thread about her and they were talking about – uh, the frustration that they have, that every time they hear an interview with Jane, um, it right away gets to, uh, instead of focusing on baseball or whatever, it right away gets to uh, her being a, a woman and her role as a woman in sports. And then a couple posts down, someone said, well, you should hear her on the sportscasters because they don't do that there. And I was proud of that, but I was also nervous. And the next time we had her on, I said, you know, I told her this. And I said, when I read that, I said I wasn't sure if I should be happy about it or if I should be embarrassed. Was I doing something wrong? Did I have an ambassador for women in media? And was I not asking her the right questions about her role there? And we kind of talked about it and bounced it off. And um, I'm curious what you think about, uh, you know, even when I went to your website and was looking before the interview, you know, Right in the beginning on the front page, uh, there's a, a little bio there, and, and it's mentioned just the impact that you've had. And I was reading James Andrew Miller's book, and uh, one of the first uh, parts where you come up is Dan Patrick telling you, you know, all of the women before you have failed here. And here you are 23 years later doing uh, another sports center to add to your most sports centers ever. Um, what do you think about the issue of uh, setting up interviews? And, and do you like being asked about that, or would you rather talk about hockey for the first 20 minutes, or what's the balance? That's a really good question. You know, I don't think um, you can forget. I, I always felt that I didn't want to be, when you're, well, I broke in when there were really hardly any women, obviously, and, you know, back in the day. And, and for me, I just want to be like one of the guys, right, because I knew just as much. And I didn't want to make a big deal that I'm a woman. I didn't want any special courtesy because I'm a woman. I wanted to prove and earn that I had, that I belonged where I was at that time. So getting to your question about the interviews, it, what, what bothers me is if this whole thing is about me being a woman, you know, type of thing and all that, as opposed to getting my opinion on all the sports I cover, not only the NHL, but whether it's NBA or NFL or, or baseball, whatever it is. Um, that to me is a successful interview. And then, there should be, you know, maybe one question like, that was very nice of you to acknowledge all that. I'm really proud of that, that I've been at ESPN for 23 years, that no one has done more sports centers, male or female, at ESPN than me. I'm proud of that. And also, I like being a role model, and I mentor a lot of young people, you know, females and males, who want to get into this business and want to do it right. And that's why it's important to get it out there as well, so if you're helping young people get in the business, they want to know that, you know, you're the real deal. So many nowadays, it's really, it's really perplexing because you have some people on um, opinionated type shows that you don't even know who the heck they are. I mean, people like, for instance, I'll give you an example, people who fill in at times at first take mm. for skipping season A. You're like, why should I care what you think? Who are you? You know, type of thing. So I think that's a mistake now in the media. But for me personally, and I think I speak for a lot of women that are in this business, there is a balance, but I have an opinion, and that's the biggest compliment that we can get is when you want to know our opinion of a certain sports topic. 
You know, you mentioned mentoring uh, people who are emerging in the media. And I th- when you're talking about that, I was thinking about that Dan Patrick quote that you mentioned in the James Andrew Miller book about how all the women before you had failed. Is there anything specifically that you think made you different? Is there a main reason why you didn't fail as compared to as Dan cited the women before you? Because simply, um, I love sports. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan first. And... Um, I have a passion for it, and if I wasn't on SportsCenter or doing or SportsCaster on any network, I'd still be religiously involved in my teams and and the leagues that I love watching. And that has what set me apart. You know, I didn't decide to pick sports because it was a cool thing to do. For me, sports is already cool. It had nothing to do with that, and I just wanted to feel like for my profession, my job, it wasn't going to feel like work, you know? It was going to be something I love talking about and doing and and facing challenges, um, and that's that's what I think sets me apart. I'm not acting the role, you know. To me, this is a real deal, and I think that's the difference. Did you get a chance to watch the USA Women last night? Um, actually, uh, I had a day off, and I while I love um, what the women are doing, and they've captured a nation, and that is so refreshing that um, a women's sports team is capturing a nation. Right now, uh, I just saw the highlights, and yeah. it was all good. I will be watching Sunday, though, when they play for the Cup. Yeah, it was a great game. I think they got about 11 million viewers as the overnight, and I can't imagine what they'll do uh, on Sunday. I'm looking forward to finding out. But, um, yeah, it's been interesting to see the momentum build with that team specifically in that tournament um, from the first game and who's talking about it and who noticed it up until last night and now as we build towards Sunday. Uh, and we have a lot of a couple of analysts that are on Sports Center with me, Julie Fowdy and Kate uh, Markgraf, who were on that 1999 team that won the Women's World Cup, and they love that this is happening. I yeah. mean, they're not like, oh, I hope we don't, you know, we're, we're you know, that they want this team to win the cup. They're, they, it's not all about the 99ers, as they call it, and that just shows you what women are all about in women in sports. They're very unselfish, you know. It reminds me of this, this stupid thing when the Miami Dolphins. Um, back in the day, they went undefeated, and then they didn't want the Patriots to break their record. You know, different. You know, right. it's for Miami. I know <laughs> right. different teams, but it was just you know instead of lauding someone else's accomplishment, they were busy you know trying to tear them down, tear the other person down, and and here it's just um, all for one, one for all for Team USA. And I think that's a big reason why too. You have to remember the whole patriotism thing is a big thing because this is why soccer, you know, women's soccer uh, professionally. Uh, you're not getting 11 million every night, okay? Right. You're getting this because it's it's uh, it's a nice group of uh, gals who are very talented soccer players who, all by the way, are playing for their country against other countries. It's why the Olympics are so big, and it's why the World Cup is so big for men and women because it's about patriotism and rooting for USA. Yeah, it's so amazing when you open your Twitter feed during one of their games and you realize that everyone is on the same team for that three hours or two hours or whatever. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. And it helps there's nothing else on. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, At Linda Cohn is the Twitter. Uh, 23 years on SportsCenter. So nice of her to spend some time uh, on her anniversary with us, although I promise that was a coincidence. Uh, LindaCohn.net is her own website. Um, And, of course, you can see her on ESPN. Very last thing, we talked a little bit about the James Andrew Miller book. Um, And when he was on this podcast, he said that there was interest in turning this book into a movie. 
who would be the perfect Linda Cohn if the book becomes a movie? Because I think they would have a great scene of you getting called into the office and having to explain to the bosses the master batter uh, catchphrase. I think that would be a great, a great scene in the movie. So who would be the perfect Linda Cohn in the James Andrew Miller book movie? That's a good question. And yeah, anyone who wants to know more about that story about the master batter should pick up Conehead, which is my autobiography back in 07. Just a funny look at my life because I made fun of myself throughout the whole book. <laughs> but um, you know what? I just thought of the one. I, mean, I used to think someone like, you know, like a, when I've been asked that question like seven, eight years ago, I always thought it was like a, a Deborah Messing type character, but maybe like a, a, a Mila Kunis type of uh, character, someone like her. I think would be really kind of cool, you know, because she's so cool and hip, and I could see her pulling that off. That seems like a great choice. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed uh, finally having you on. I can't thank you enough. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, and, and best of luck. Continued success for you. All right, I want to thank Mark Simon and whoever it is you just heard me talk to. I'm sure it was fantastic. I'd like to congratulate myself on that last interview. That was a piece of beauty. <laughs> I'm sure it was good. Uh, this episode and all of our episodes, award-winning episodes, can be found on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Don at Don Lake Sports. You can follow us on Facebook. I've been trying to remember to update the Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash the sportscasters. And you can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Every week I feel bad for Don as he bangs his head up against my wall trying to think of one last thing. Send us some more ideas for the yeah. poor guy. <laughs> I'm going to start making him wear a helmet while he thinks of these things now. Now, as he was just desperately trying to think of something, we had some breaking news in the hockey world, so for one last thing today, Don's going to fill us in. Yeah, uh, Brandon Saad, who is uh guy RFA, we talked about earlier. Yeah, I talked about him earlier in Chicago, got traded to Columbus for what doesn't amount to much. Uh, Jeremy Morin is his name. Yep. I think Corey Tropp, an ex-Buffalo Sabre, Anisimov, and Dano, and a fourth-round pick for Saad, Pagliata, and Alex Broadhurst. The name you got to know here is Saad, and that's probably – essentially it uh more in super young so i guess he could be something yeah 92 still but so uh a pros a, a blackhawks prospect that they traded to columbus and columbus and i didn't have him back so we talked about this like as we were setting up for this segment and uh i think somebody tweeted thank you ufa market for making the puck uh, daddy yeah. yeah okay for making the rfa market and offer sheets such a thing uh Mark Dano's a 20-year-old kid, so I don't know anything about him, but he's not some guy that I've heard. Prospect. Taught, yeah, just, yeah, he's just a prospect. Right. This is not what you would generally get inside, but you suggested this is probably Columbus saying, look, here's the offer sheet we're going to give Saad tomorrow. And do you have the numbers there? I think McKenzie tweeted it. He was asking for 6.5 for six years. For six years. According to McKenzie. Uh, his agent then responded, we weren't asking for six years, so which means what, five then? says he won't say how many years, but uh, six wasn't discussed. So five then? So, I mean, right. it's not less than that. If it's Either, not a bridge deal, then it's a long-term deal. We'll see tomorrow, I yeah. guess, because he's going to have to sign this contract. He still could be targeted with an offer sheet if they don't sign him by tomorrow. So 
How funny would that be? If they, I mean, I'm sure we talked about this too before we came on here. I'm sure if you make this trade, you know you're going to be you able know to you're going to be able to sign them. Yeah, but I mean, they really got they got to put pen to paper before whatever. Mid- Columbus, Columbus is in our league, right? I yes, because they lost to Pittsburgh in the first round. Okay, uh, the right. year they made it, they could be good. They could, yeah, yeah, they could be a good team. Yeah, they got some nice young pieces. They got uh, a nice. Yeah, it's weird. We were talking earlier. Can the Sabers make the playoffs? And the teams they got to jump, and it's teams like that aren't your traditional hockey markets. Like Florida missed the playoffs last they're year. They're going to be a beast they're of a be team. Good. Yeah. So you got like Florida, Columbus, and on their way down is probably going to be guys like Boston and Detroit. Eventually, they have and to. And you, you know, you speculate Montreal. They're, they're always going to be. They're like the Sabers were with Hashik right now, right? Yeah, they're Mont- always going to be at least competing. Montreal to me is so weird because it always feels like they just they just do it with. Average player. I mean, I know they have. Uh, we like Subban and we like uh, Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk. That's yeah. the, that's the guy that's escaped me. But they always kind of feel like an anonymous group of guys that just make the playoffs. Sometimes win a round or two. Yeah. So the Sabers won't be getting Brandon Saad. No. Columbus did. Good for them. Nice move. But yeah, I'm looking forward to July 1st. I guess is my basically the Blackhawks super take for decided they couldn't thing. afford to make Brandon Saad their third highest paid player because he would have been right behind Kane. I know their owner used to not be a great owner, but then they started to win. It's a newer and, guy, too. Okay, so now he's a new guy. Yeah. Um, they got hurt when the cap didn't go up very much. Right. So I, I'm right now there's a fine time as a Sabres fan for the cap not to go up. I'm hoping two years from now the cap goes up $10 million or something. And maybe Sharp stays there now. Yeah. We talked about before. He's not a great fit in a lot of places, but certainly Chicago is one of the places he's a good fit. They'll be great. I mean, they've got two of the top. 10 forwards in the league. And, I mean, if not, they won three cups in the last six years, and they'll so just have it. to deal with it. Yep. All right, one last thing for the show today. Major League Baseball announced that they changed the format for the Home Run Derby. Did you hear about this, Don? I did not. I actually like it a lot. So what they're doing is they're having a single elimination tournament, uh, which the loser of each bracket is eliminated. There's no more... The way they used to do it is like 10 guys would go and whoever the top six guys were would kind of advance and okay. just kind of wean down and it never mattered. Well, now they're just having games and the seating is based on home run totals through July 7th with ties broken by awarding the higher seed to the batter with the most home runs since June 25th. Uh, if it's still tied, they'll do a coin flip. Uh, in each bracket, the higher seed will hit second. So they have eight players. One will play eight. You know, two will play seven and so on. Uh, then the winners of the one eight and the four five will play, and then there'll be a semifinal and then, you know, a final. Okay. Um, and now this is another thing they did. It's five minutes per batter per round, and the time starts with the first pitch. There's no more outs. Oh, okay. Which means there's going to be a lot less of the guy just standing watching, there watching pitches. Because it wasn't perfect. He's just going to hack away okay. for five minutes. Uh, any home runs hit during the final minute of each turn stop the clock until the batter hits another ball. That's not a home run. Okay. So it's kind of like a stop clock format at the last minute. When does the clock restart? Maybe I don't get that part. Okay. The time will not start again until the batter hits a ball that is not a home run. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Or swings and misses at a pitch. Gotcha. Uh, there's boy, that seems like they could put up some monster numbers if a guy gets. And they can also get bonus time. Okay. Uh, one minute of bonus time is awarded for two home runs 
that each equal or exceed 420 feet. So they want these guys crushing the ball. Right. Um, and there's more uh, chances to get bonus time up to a minute and 30 more. You're going to have guys hitting up there for a long time, I bet. This, this feels like... The batter of each round advances. Uh, ties in any round is a 96-second swing off. Okay. Um, and each batter can take a 45-second timeout. Okay. Per round. So if they get gassed, yeah. they can call timeout and the kid will, their friend will come over and pat their head and can <laughs> get it. I, I like it. Uh, more likely or less likely to watch the Home Run Derby based on format alone. I, more. More likely. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's exciting. Uh, what they were doing was stale. It right. very much got boring. Very much got boring. It's always going to be a flawed event as long as Chris Berman is calling it. There's nothing we can do about that. Uh, but one thing they can do is change the format, and they did. And I'm willing to give it a shot. And I think the best thing is is they've gotten away now from the way they always did it. So if this doesn't work, I don't think anyone's going to be screaming next year if they decide to tweak it or change it again. Right. And, you know, the Home Run Derby used to be – I wonder if it's something that I loved because I was a kid. Sure. Oh, yeah, I think so. Or if it's something that I don't love anymore because it got stale. I wonder like, I wonder if this can reignite it. Maybe I'll never love it the same way. Maybe it's like wrestling. You'll never quite love it the way you did when you were seven because the imagination of it is gone. But that doesn't mean you can't still love it. And I wasn't loving the Home Run Derby. So maybe this new format uh, will uh, reignite something in it. And I'll give it a try. Uh, In the meantime, have a nice 4th of July. Sparks diving down